How's everybody? Okay, we, this, is, this is camp. Did y'all know that? This is camp, and so we get our camp on, and we don't do it tomorrow night. We do it tonight, right? And uh, man, I know that 2020 has been whack for you. It has certainly been whack for me, man. Uh, in I think most of you know that are friends with me on uh, Facebook that uh, I was diagnosed with bladder cancer uh, right at the 1st of February, had uh, cancer surgery uh, on February 12th, and uh, just about the time that I was supposed to start the treatments, then I got COVID, and uh, so, oh my word, man, it has, and I know what y'all were thinking, y'all were going, man, I don't know what he's going to look like this year, man. He, he's going to get up there or something crazy. And I, and I also know what you're thinking right now. I think he's fatter than he's ever been. I wasn't going to say it. I want you to hush. <laughs> yeah, I lost 30 pounds in that whole thing, and I've, I've recently found it. <laughs> so, um, anywho... I am thrilled that you're here. I didn't know, I, I, for real, I thought y'all were going to cancel, especially when they made y'all wear masks in here. Man, are, are you guys freaking out right now with all that? You, you okay? Okay, yeah. Um, all right, so uh, I, I've never built a house. Um, I hear that with any... Uh, a house or whether it be a building or whatever, what I hear is that the most important part of that is the foundation. Now, that's not the pizzazzy part, right? <laughs> that, that's just the part that is so absolutely necessary in order for everything else to happen. And so tonight, uh, you know, I, I don't know for sure how pizzazzy it's going to be. But what we've got to do is we've got to lay a foundation. But, but let me appeal to you, y'all. We, we do this whole thing. Yeah, man, we have lots of fun. We have lots of activities and all that. But we, we reserve this time so that we can get away and have God change our lives. Did you come to do that this year, y'all? Man, I, I hope that you did. And, and you'll see, I'll talk about this as we move along in this tonight, that uh, we're going to be talking about deepening our relationship with the Lord in prayer. Anybody feel like you might need a little help in that area? I'm sure we all do. And what I want to share with you is some of the things that the Lord has been teaching me. I didn't, I didn't go into the file and pull this out. I mean, this is, this is where I'm living right now. And, uh, and I hope that somehow God will be able to use it to, to minister to you, to help you. But do remember as we're working through this that I'm laying down all of this so that in the other three sessions that I have, uh, I have one of the morning sessions, uh, so tomorrow night and Friday night, Friday morning, I I'm laying all of this out so that when we get there, we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about these kind of things, but I'm not so sure that you're really going to understand the practical if we don't do what we're going to be doing tonight. And all of God's people said, 
Okay, cool. Why don't we, uh, and, and I know you, you picked up the study sheet and you said, how many years are we going to be here? Um, most of everything I'm going to say is, uh, is on that sheet. And, uh, and yet, before we, before we dive into the Word, why don't we just still our hearts and would you just please ask the Lord yourself, Lord, speak to me, help me to get this foundational stuff so that uh, we can build on that in, in the coming days. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that is ours to be able to do this. Thank you for people that are just trusting you with their life and their health because they want a fresh touch. And so, Lord, would you please meet with us over the, the course of the next several days. And, Lord, I pray that our lives will be forever changed because of what you do in our midst. And we ask this for your glory's sake. Amen. All right, so as you are grabbing your notes and as we're talking about laying this foundation tonight, let me, let me just begin by, by saying this, that one of the first things that God did in the Old Testament to prepare the world for what he was ultimately going to do through the Lord Jesus Christ it's found in the book of Exodus, strangely enough, and what God did in the book of Moses to prepare, or in the book of Exodus, what he did to prepare the world for the Lord Jesus Christ is he told Moses and the children of Israel that he wanted them to build this thing that was called the tabernacle. And it... Uh, it looked, you can see in the, in the background of the slide, oh yeah, it's on your, your notes. You, you can see a, a little picture of what the thing looked like. And I, you look at that, and I'll give you that it doesn't look like much, but I will say this, that in that 75 foot by 150 foot rectangle, that is the most significant object in the entire Old Testament. And, and as we get started talking about it tonight, I think it's important for you to know that the word tabernacle actually means dwell. In fact, sometimes that word that's translated tabernacle is also translated dwell in our Bible. And, and what, this, what this thing actually was, was a, a mobile worship center. Maybe we could call it a portable sanctuary that was to be placed in the center of Israel's camp when they were in the wilderness with three of the 12 tribes on each of the four uh, sides of the tabernacle so that it looked something like this. The tabernacle there and then the tribes as they would camp would be all camped around it. Okay, so again, just uh, some brief little background to get us into the subject. Now, as we begin to talk about it, I think it's also very important that we get this established right from the get-go, that that physical Old Testament tabernacle has absolutely no bearing whatsoever 
on our worship or anything that has to do with our walk with God. The tabernacle was specifically intended to serve God's purposes for the children of Israel. But those of us that are a part of the Living Faith Fellowship, one of the things that we talk about is the three layers of application. And like virtually every aspect of what was happening physically and historically in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, we understand that it is picturing something spiritually and practically that applies to those of us that comprise the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And such is the case with this thing of the tabernacle. Okay, so as I was saying at the beginning, for us to actually get to the spiritual and the practical application, we've got to make sure that we've got these basic understandings of what the Old Testament tabernacle was actually about. And I will tell you, y'all, we could literally literally fill a semester course or even a full year course in LFBI just talking about the historical and doctrinal applications and aspects of this thing of the, the, the tabernacle. So tonight what I want to try to do is I want to give us enough of the historical and doctrinal perspective so that over the next few days we can make those practical applications. And uh, I, I tried to be creative, and in fact, I had an entire message already put together about all of what I wanted to say tonight, and when I got all done, it was too long, and so I had to just figure out a, a, another way to do it, and so I, I thought maybe the simplest way and the most expeditious way to do that is um, to just ask of the tabernacle those uh, interrogative questions that we learned in elementary school. You know, back in the days when kids used to go to school and stuff like that. Uh, but do you remember that those questions? Who, what, when, where, why, and how, and sometimes why, and all, okay. So that's going to be our outline. And again, I know that's not real creative, but I think it will keep us moving and help us to just simplify what is an unbelievably deep and uh, layered entity. And so, with regard to the tabernacle, let's, let's first of all begin by just simply asking the, the question, who? Okay, who was this tabernacle really about? And the first answer to the question is that it's about God and the children of Israel. It has to do with their relationship with each other. Because you see, the, the, the tabernacle was the apparatus, and I use the word apparatus because it sounds a little better than calling it a contraption. But I will tell you that if you and I were just strolling through some barren land somewhere, and we came upon this thing of, of this tabernacle, we would be looking at that thing and, and going, what in the world is this? What kind of contraption is this? But again, I say to you, though it ain't much to look at, y'all, there is more truth packed into that thing than any of us could possibly imagine. Okay, so 
The tabernacle was the apparatus that God chose to use to facilitate his relationship with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And and that, of course, would find its expression in, in a lot of different ways, not the least of which is through the... The, the fact that this is the place, the tabernacle was the place where the sacrifices were off, offered, which was obviously key. But n- not only is the who, when it comes to the tabernacle, the nation of Israel, or God and the children of Israel, but number two, it is God and the body of Christ, the church. And, and again, this is what I alluded to a few minutes ago. God's intention for the tabernacle concerning the body of Christ is not a tangible or physical reality to which we relate to God. But all of that was a picture of our spiritual relationship with God, and all of that was intended to teach us about our relationship with God. Is that, are you tracking with that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where the context is God recounting uh, Israel's history, in fact, recounting the history during the same exact period of time that we're talking about tonight, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, and God specifically says in a letter written to us, the New Testament church, God tells us in verse 6, now these things were our examples. And so we're going to the tabernacle to get some examples, some real life things that can help our our minds get wrapped around something. That's what an example is. He gets deeper into it in verse 11. And he says, now all these things happened unto them, that's the children of Israel, For in samples, and they are written for our, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're written for our admonition. Okay, so as we begin to talk about this, and we're trying to get our minds wrapped around everything that was going on in that tabernacle, recognize that it was all picturing something about our relationship with God, and it's intended to teach us about our relationship with God. Okay, so that's the who, which leads to the next question of when. Okay, and I know I'm taking those out of order, but I'm doing it for a purpose. And so in answering the when, we will also automatically answer the question of where. Okay, so look again with me in your notes, because as far as when and where are concerned, God introduced the concept of the tabernacle shortly after the children of Israel's release from their bondage in Egypt when they were in the wilderness. That's the time frame. Secondly, in terms of when and where, the first mention of the tabernacle is in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 9. In fact, if If you want to, over the course of the next several days, man, spend some time in Exodus 25 through 30, and it'll just help you to really get your head wrapped around everything that we're going to be talking about this week. And then thirdly, 
in terms of the time frame. The tabernacle would remain a central part of Israel's worship until the days of Solomon and the construction of a more permanent place for God to dwell in the temple. Okay, so we've answered the question of who. We've answered the question of when. We've answered the question where. We're on a roll, ain't we, y'all? And so the the next pertinent question, of course, is, is what? Okay, I mean, just... What is this thing anyway? Okay, and, and I, I tried to give you a, just a, a, a general idea at the very beginning when I talked about it being a mobile worship center or a, a portable sanctuary. But n- number one on this, what, what was its significance? Okay, and, and first of all, and I also alluded to this in the introduction, the tabernacle is the single greatest commodity in the entire Old Testament. Again, every part of its features, every part of its furnishings are jam-packed with Old Testament truth that was a foreshadowing and a picture of New Testament truth. And and that's what makes this thing of the tabernacle so significant. And then secondly, in terms of what? Okay, what was its intention? What was it that God actually had in mind concerning this thing? And the answer is that it was one of the first things and one of the main things that God did in the Old Testament to prepare the world for what he would ultimately do through the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I, that's not really where we're going this week. I just felt like that if we're going to be laying this groundwork, and what I hope some of you might do is that this might catapult some of you into a further study of this, and I want to make sure as you start that, that you understand That, man, this is what God was doing to prepare the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and then we've done the who, we've done the what, we've done the when, we've done the where, and I'll hit the why in just a, a minute, but let's first of all address the issue and address the question of, of how. How? Yeah. And to begin with, let's talk about how this thing was financed. And I, I understand that that may not seem like a, a, a pertinent question to ask, how was it financed? But you'll see where I'm going with this in just a, a second. Because uh, uh, everything in that, that tabernacle, I mean, uh, again, if we just were walking through the wilderness and we stumbled on this thing, wow, it, it's not like we'd be going, Oh, how awesome is that? We Again, we would be going, what in the heck is that? But did you know that if the churches that are represented here tonight were tasked with the responsibility to fund this thing in today's economy, Do you have any idea how much it would cost? Check this out, y'all. It would cost 57 
and I ain't going to say 1,000. 57 million dollars. I mean, if you take the weight of the gold in that thing in today's economy, just the gold in it is over 37 million. And then if you add to that the silver that's in it, that's an, an additional 2 million. And here is this bunch of nomads, man. They don't even have a way to make money. And they are tasked with this thing of, of building this tabernacle, whatever that is. And, and listen, all, all any of these people had is what they took with them the night that they left Egypt. That's all that they got. And so this thing of how it was financed, is, it's a pretty significant thing. And, and I want you to see this. According to Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 and 2, the tabernacle was to be financed by a, listen to this, y'all, a free will offering that was to be received from the nomadic and unemployed children of Israel. Isn't it interesting that at various times, God would say, I want you to tithe this, and I want you to tithe on this, and I want you to tithe every three and a half years on this. And it was a specific amount. For some reason, y'all, when it came to the tabernacle, he said, listen, I don't want to make anybody have a part in this. But man... If you want to have a part, knock yourself out. And the more you invest in it, the more blessed you're going to be by that thing. Again, a group of people that ain't got nothing but what they left Egypt with. And God is saying, hey, I just want all of y'all to give whatever you want. I, you know, I, as I was studying about this and thinking about that, I'm like, I wonder why God, I wonder why he did that. And, and I, there may be a better answer, but you know what I came up with, y'all? That God wanted his people to have a part in this thing. And if they would have a part in that thing, I think it was in God's mind that the people would take ownership of that thing. And it was so significant that God wanted them to have that part and take that ownership. The second question on how is, how was it to be constructed? And the answer to that is determined by what it was that God was actually asking the children of Israel to give in this free will offering, because obviously they, they didn't have any currency that they were using. You know, we're taking an offering, you know, we're going to give dollars, uh, when, you know, a lot of you know that I do this thing in, in Malawi with training pastors and that first group that came through uh, the training and they graduated uh, as an expression of thanks, you know, some of them were, were giving an offering to me. I, I'm serious. I left the building that place with a live rooster <laughs> in my arms and, and that kind of stuff just wigs me out, y'all. 
I, I'm, not, I'm not that guy. I, I know y'all are Missouri and you're way into all of that. I, I'm a little cush dude that needs to turn in his man card. But I don't want to be touching any live rooster, man. Okay, but, so what, what is it that they're to give? And, and God was specific about that. I give anything that you want, but here's what I'm looking for. And he lays that out in Exodus 25, verses 1 through 7. The children of Israel, Exodus 25, verse 3 says that they were to bring gold, silver, and brass. Verse 4 says that they were to bring fine linen of blue and purple and scarlet. Verse 25 says that they were to bring ram's skins and badger's skins and wood. Verse 6 says that they were to bring oil and spices. And verse 7 says that they were to bring precious stones. And if you'll look at that list of what God was looking for, and then you begin to watch the construction of this tabernacle, you can see where all of these things were. And listen, all of those people that gave to that walk into that tabernacle and go, there you go. I gave that. They were owning it, man. They, they had a part in, in that thing. And then the next aspect of how is how was it to be laid out? How was it to be laid out? Well, notice that Exodus 25 verses 8 and 9, God told Moses that he wanted the people to make him a sanctuary. Listen to it. According to all that he would show him, after the pattern of the tabernacle. Do you hear that? The pattern. The, the middle of Hebrews uh, 8 and verse 5, it's commenting on that. And, and what it says is that Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make that tabernacle. And this is what God told him. He said, see that thou make all things According to, here it comes again, the pattern showed thee in the mount. And God keeps talking about this pattern that Moses was to use as the general contractor of this construction project. What blueprint, if you will, was he to use? And again, this could be a study in itself, but first of all, the tabernacle was to be made according to the pattern of the universe. Is that crazy? God wanted him to make this tabernacle as a minuscule representation of the universe. And... and in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 23, it talks about, listen to it, the, the patterns of the things in the heaven? Is that what it says? In, in the heavens. Okay, and so what God is letting us know is that when this tabernacle was made, it was made according to the pattern of the heavens or the, the universe. And as we look biblically, a lot of people in this room understand this. This may be new for some of y'all. But the first heaven is what we would refer to today as Earth's atmosphere. It's, it's located from the ground 
to the clouds. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is what we refer to as outer space. It's where the sun and the moon and the stars are. The, the third heaven is God's abode, and it's located beyond all of the galaxies, all of the constellations, and beyond the frozen waters of the deep that are way, way out there. Okay, but God laid out the universe in three sections. And because that was the pattern that God used for the heavens, that's why the tabernacle was also comprised of three sections. There was the court. You'd walk through that gate, and there was the courtyard that went all around the, the tabernacle proper that was in, in the middle. But the court corresponds to the first heaven. The holy place corresponds to the second heaven. And, of course, the holy of holies corresponds with the third heaven. Okay, so this pattern... The blueprint that Moses was to use to build this thing was the one that God used when he made the universe. He was just to make this little 75 by 150 foot replica of the universe. But not only was it according to the pattern of the universe, but secondly, it was to be made according to the pattern of the true tabernacle in the third heaven which Hebrews 8 and verse 2 calls a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. And of course, the true tabernacle in heaven, okay, so we've got the three heavens, and it was after the pattern of that, but when you get to the third heaven, there is the true tabernacle in heaven that's there, and it too is in three sections. First of all is the court. Ephesians 2 and verse 6 talks about the fact that we, though we are seated at UCM in Warrensburg, Missouri, we are also at this very second seated with him in heavenly places, okay? The court is where we're seated. And then the next part of the true tabernacle in heaven is the throne room. And this is where the book of Revelation talks about the fact that there are seven lamps of fire that are burning. The book of Psalms, Psalm 119 and verse 89 talks about the fact that the word of God is settled forever in heaven. The word of God is in that throne room. And then the book of Revelation also talks about the golden vials full of odors. The, the incense and all of that was a part of the throne room. And then next, the third part of the true tabernacle in heaven is the, the, the throne itself. And that throne is where God's presence is fully manifest. Okay, so that's the true tabernacle in heaven. And of course, those correspond perfectly with the three sections of the tabernacle on earth. And the reason it does is because it was made according to the pattern of the true tabernacle in heaven. And, and the tabernacle on the earth, again, was comprised 
of a court. And as we'll see over the next few sessions, in that court was located the brazen altar and the brazen laver. And then next was the holy place, and inside the holy place was the golden candlestick, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. And then in that next section, the Holy of Holies, that was what contained the Ark of the Covenant with, of course, the mercy seat. And so, as we look at this thing, and God's saying, Mo, I want you to build this according to the pattern. The pattern of what? The pattern of the universe the pattern of the true tabernacle in heaven, and yet I believe, y'all, that there was one other thing that it was to be after the pattern of. Number three, it was to be made according to the pattern of Christ. (laughs) The pattern of Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11 says, but Christ being come, being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. And as we, we study the tabernacle and as we compare Scripture with Scripture, I believe that it becomes apparent, listen, that just as there was an earthly, physical tabernacle in the wilderness in the Old Testament that declared a tabernacle that was more glorious in the heavens. Listen, Jesus came to this earth in an earthly, physical tabernacle, and John 1.18 says that he declared the very glory of his Father in heaven. Hello? And as we begin to look at the tabernacle and we, we examine the various features and the furnishings of the tabernacle, we find that it was obviously made after the picture of Christ or the pattern of Christ. All of this stuff pictures him. All of this stuff pictures God's purposes through him. Um, some of you may want to take this little section uh, that we're about to just look at real briefly and maybe just use this for your devotions because I'm not going to be able to take the time to look at all these verses. But in terms of the tabernacle being a picture of Christ, okay, we, we walk to the gate, y'all. And, and the gate, you see that, is what provided entrance to the court. And that gate is a picture of Christ. And then we move further into this thing. As soon as we come in through the gate, we meet the brazen altar. And the brazen altar, y'all, is a picture of Christ. And we move from that to the, the brazen laver, and it too was a picture of Christ. And then we come into the holy place, the golden candlestick, the table of showbread, the altar of incense. Do you understand? It's all a picture of Christ. We come into the holy of holies, the mercy seat, and it's all a picture of Christ. Everything 
about the tabernacle, everything in the tabernacle was picturing him and pointing to him. And all of that brings us to the last of the interrogative questions, and that is why. Y'all got those notes and you thought, he ain't ever going to make it. Why, y'all? Because as we've already talked about, listen, God dwells in the third heaven, in a place that is beyond description. And that place is where he deserves to be. And listen, y'all, he could have jolly well chosen to stay in that third heaven for all of eternity, separated from us, and it, it, nobody expected him to do anything different. And yet, the beautiful thing is, listen... Once God forged the nation of Israel and brought them out of the bondage of Egypt and they were making their way into the promised land, God told Moses and the children of Israel something that was absolutely mind-boggling. Something that was absolutely not anticipated absolutely not expected. What he told them is that he also wanted a place on the earth for his presence to dwell or to tabernacle. And do you understand what it was that God was actually communicating to his people by that, y'all? He was communicating that he didn't want to be a God who is distant or a God whose presence is in some far off place somewhere out there. In Exodus 25 and verse 22, would you listen to what he says? Okay, make me this tabernacle and there... I will I'll meet with thee. And I'll commune with you. This is where we'll hang out. This is where, this is where we'll fellowship. And what we have introduced to us here, y'all, is what I like to refer to as God's incomprehensible desire to meet with humans. Is that crazy or what, y'all? Maybe that's only incomprehensible to me. <laughs> and, okay, this, this brings it to, to what I want to talk to you about at this retreat, y'all. What I, what I want to talk to you in, in my sessions is how 
we might go, in, go about tapping into the fullness of God's incomprehensible desire to meet with us. Because, man, I want you to know something tonight, y'all. Every single day when we open our eyes in the morning, do you understand that God desires to meet with us? He desires it. I mean, can you fathom that? And yet, the fact is, y'all, with that incomprehensible reality completely available to us and awaiting us, the attitude that most Christians exude by their actions is, I ain't got time for that. Say what? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, if we don't have the time to meet with the holy, all-powerful God who desires to meet with us, who is it we do have time to meet with, y'all? What do we have time for if we ain't got time for that? And, and I'll give you, man, we go, you know, I, we've talked a lot of history and children of Israel and Old Testament and all of that. And I will tell you that God's desire to meet with humans in the Old Testament through that tabernacle was incomprehensible. But do you realize that the incomprehensibility of that doesn't even, it's not even a blip on the radar compared to the incomprehensibility of what we have the privilege of experiencing. Because, listen, do you understand that everything that the people and the priest had to do to meet with God in the tabernacle, I mean, all of the animal sacrifices and the ceremonial cleansings and washings and lightings and bakings and burnings and everything else that was involved, do you understand that all of that was fulfilled in Christ. And so you know what that means, y'all? It means we don't have to do any of that in order to meet with God. Can you imagine us having to wake up every day? Let's get the lamb and let's go down to the tabernacle and let's offer a sacrifice. You know what we got, y'all? We got hassle-free 24-hour instant access with the only wise God who desires to meet with us. We don't have to approach God through that physical, tangible tent and all of its furnishings and requirements. And again, the reason we don't is because all of those physical things that Israel had to do in their relationship with God, we don't have to do them because we're a different people. 
And God is doing something different. And all of those things that they were doing were just pictures. It's what they had to do to relate to God. But it's a picture of our relationship with God. Again, all that stuff was fulfilled by our Lord Jesus Christ. But but I want you to listen very carefully now. What do you think might happen if we took all of those physical, tangible pictures in the Old Testament and we used those, since they picture our relationship with God, what if we used them as guides for us spiritually and practically to help us to deepen our relationship with God in prayer? In other words, and this is what's on your sheet, what if we use that Old Testament tabernacle to be a template that we use for the rest of our lives with with no legalism? It's not like I'm going to be setting an agenda that all of us must keep for the rest of our life. Listen, if we go home and we're praying better than we've ever prayed before. Hallelujah to you. There, there, no, no legalism here, but oh my word, for us to miss the teaching that comes out of the tabernacle. Okay, but what if we use that to be a template for our prayers that guides us in our prayers as we meet with God on a daily basis? I do believe that it's transforming, y'all. And again, please be aware that I'm not going to be laying any legalistic trips, that if you don't do it this way, but boy, if we can tap into those and we can go home and every single day come through those gates and into his presence and have an incredible meeting with the God that desires to meet with us. Bro, why don't you come and let's, let's sing one song, if, if you got it. Uh, let's, let's sing one song of worship to the Lord. And uh, I'll look forward to coming back and going deeper with you tomorrow night.